The hotel was big and rather famous, ostentatious if not downright flamboyant, with an easy walking distance of Whitehall and not entirely what it seemed to be. Its top floor was given over to a company of international entrepreneurs, which was the sum total of the hotel manager's knowledge about it. The occupants of that unknown upper region had their own elevator at the rear of the building, private stairs also at the rear and entirely closed off from the hotel itself, even their own fire escape. Indeed, they, they being the only identification one might reliably apply in such circumstances, owned the top floor and so entirely fell outside the hotel's sphere of control and operation. Except that from the outside looking in, few would suspect that the building was in toto anything other than what it purported to be, which was exactly the guise or aspect, or lack of such, which they wished to convey. As for the international entrepreneurs, whatever such creatures might be, they were not. In fact, they were a branch of government, or more properly, a subsidiary body. Government supported them in the way that a tree supports a small creeper, but their roots were wholly separate. And similarly, because they were a very tiny parasite, the vast bulk of the tree was wholly unaware of their presence. As is the case with so many experimental, unproven projects, their funding was of a low priority, came out of petty cash. The upkeep of their offices was therefore far and away top of the list where costing was concerned. But that was unavoidable. For unlike other projects, the nature of this one demanded a very low profile indeed. Its presence, in the event of discovery, would be an acute embarrassment. It would doubtless be viewed with suspicion and scorn, if not disbelief and outright hostility. It would be seen as a totally unnecessary expenditure, a needless burden on the taxpayer, a complete waste of public money. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're discussing the first page of Necroscope by Brian Lumley. Published in 1986. And our guest today is Alexander Danner. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, how familiar are we with Necroscope? Not at all. Uh, you and I were talking, Vin, uh, a little bit uh, on Slack about uh, how West End Games had a role-playing game of this, mm -hmm. which was my first and uh, only uh, exposure to Necroscope. Uh, at the, <laughs> at the, uh, Barnes and Noble that I used to go to, uh -huh. like, you know, I, I used to go to the Walden books, but all they had was D and D. And then at some point I found a Barnes and Noble and they had like, uh, white wolf stuff and West end games. And my mind was opened and I, I never looked back, mm. but I also never bought it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. My, this is for me, one of those titles or one of those series that's, um, and this comes up on the show kind of often, um, that I know from being a block of covers on the shelves that I was always browsing. Like Necroscope has a sort of iconic set of like weird skull covers mm -hmm. that sit in the horror section. And usually one of them is faced out uh, because they're extremely thick and like all through like the late eighties and like early to mid nineties, I was like, Oh, that thing. 
I know those covers and have never read them and have no idea what they're about. So is this a series? Are there more of these? There are like 13 of these, I think. Oh, wow. 18? Possibly 18. Huh? Interesting. And yet it it entirely escaped my notice. Hmm. Now that you've been exposed to it, uh, I guess the question is whether you will escape it. <laughs> or <laughs> will it continue to escape you? Uh, because... You know, I, I, I looked at the cover and, you know, I, I had a very clear memory of that that role playing game book cover, which also has like a skull, but it's not quite right because there's like a, a living fleshy tongue in it, mm-hmm. uh, which is intriguing uh, and matches the the original uh, the original cover that we have for today to look at. Yeah. If you do an image search, you'll see a lot of variants on the theme because they use that for the whole series that sort of central skull in the dark but it's weird right and it's just differently weird every time that that tongue really jumped out at me in the the second version of the cover you sent me it's it's so much more eye-catching with that that weird uh as you said fleshy tongue yeah i i i forgot for a moment that in fact the the skull has fangs mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not worried about the fangs it's it's the tongue that's going to get you, right? Yeah. That's the part that's just not right. <laughs> oh, man. Is, is this the type of book cover that would have caught your attention in the 80s? In the 80s, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I definitely uh, much prefer the, the 80s cover to the, the more contemporary cover. There There is just so much more style to it. Um, you know, with, with, again, that, that tongue that's in there, the text treatment is so much more interesting. It's got this real heavy metal, uh, typeface going with the underlining under it that has that almost musical, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, scales look to it. Really nice use of text on the cover, honestly. Um, and then you've got the more recent one that looks like a Photoshop job that, you know. You could hire someone on Fiverr to do for you for 20 bucks. Yeah, it's very strange to me that this this seems to happen with a lot of these classic series that have really iconic covers is that they decide to re-release them with Fiverr style. More generic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. You, you already have the artwork. Just roll with it. Yeah. I, I, I do like that the, uh, the newer cover has a blurb from uh, F. Paul Wilson, I think, another uh, horror author. Uh, whereas the original just has the tagline, a battle to the death and beyond, and beyond, which is like, yeah, you, you, you can, you can kind of hear the, like the guitar, like after that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually the thing this cover immediately reminds me of that I'm only just now piecing together is like a lot of the horror film covers that you'd walk by in the, in the video store in the same era. Mm-hmm. Like that cover from House or The Howling. Absolutely. Like more things I've never seen, but like these are images that are burned into my memory because they were so like at some point I'll bother to look up the artist and see if maybe they're the same people. Um, but yeah, there's there's a really prevalent horror vibe in that era that yeah, that warranted some really great covers. And the painted covers too. Like that was that was a cool thing. As much as it looks dated now, the the fact that they likely actually commissioned someone to do a painting for this cover because mm-hmm. that was a thing people used to do. I had a teacher who used to model for the Barbarian books. Oh, wow. Um, my my high school journalism teacher <laughs> was a Barbarian model. Um, so that was fun. 
but they they yeah it used to be you would really commission original art even for for the pulpiest of pulp books yep which is part of how a lot of those extremely pulpy books became fixtures Mm -hmm. like you can't judge a book by its cover but you sure as hell can't sell one yeah i i have objections to the you can't judge a book by its cover though i oh so, so do i i think there's there's they're very well you know their mission is to give you something to judge them by. And most of the time they do. Yeah. Otherwise your, your cover artist is not doing their job, mm-hmm. which honestly, precisely the problem with some of these more recent covers is, uh, it seems less like the, the designer was familiar with the content and isn't giving you much to judge by. Yeah. Or, uh, isn't no, actually, no, let me rephrase that. Uh, exactly what you said. Yeah. Like there's, there's, something, there's something like I, even, you know, I, I didn't even think about it uh, until you pointed out, but like even the font that his name is written in, mm-hmm. in the original has like, I mean, it's like a Gothic serif font, you know, yeah. like over serifed, right? It's, it's, it's dripping points. Uh-huh. And, and the new one is just like, yeah, like he's a guy. It's, it's, yeah, it's just your basic serif font it's it's a slightly more stylized one it's got those those angled the, the sharp e uh, and l like points yeah yeah but like looking at the at the the older one even just looking at how the l and the u come together yeah is so elegant yeah they sort of fit like uh, for the listeners they're sort of like mirrored curve mm-hmm. fitting together it's really an impressive cover yeah y'all have probably seen it but if you haven't you can look it up you know how google works or or instagram <laughs> Let's, let's drive that traffic. Uh, oh, sure. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's really, it's very much the kind of typeface too that, that Stranger Things is borrowing from. I mean, theirs mm. is very, more specifically the Stephen King typeface, which the fact that Stephen King had his own typeface, yeah. um, it, it tells you a lot about branding, but this is in that same, that very similar vein. A lo- again, a little more metal than the Stephen King one, but still using similar shapes, similar, you know, the, the dropped bottoms of the first and last letter yeah well, it's just interesting you know thinking about like the economics of this where like the old cover has two distinct fonts mm-hmm. uh and the new cover has one font uh mm-hmm. i mean sorry one font for the uh name and and title and then something even more generic for the blurb yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's just curious to think about like all the work that went into this original cover mm-hmm. whereas i mean yeah uh I've had one good interaction on Fiverr, uh, so hmm. you know it can it can happen. Uh, oh, absolutely! But yeah, but that that's not who they hired for this one. No, yeah, yeah. This this is not someone's side gig. This was like, I mean, even if they were, let's say, uh, a teacher of painting somewhere, like this person mm-hmm. probably painted a lot of covers. Yeah, and like now now we're gonna pitch our spinoff podcast where we just uh, talk to cover artists from the seventies and eighties. Ooh. That could be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it'd be very funny to be like, yeah, I painted that cover. Like, oh, okay. Well, it- now we're out of the vocabulary <laughs> to discuss this. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of vocabulary, uh, let's dive into the text. All right. Which is, uh, I'll, I'll note, a prologue. Mm-hmm. If that makes anyone feel differently about it. Th- those are often a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, like, like, I want to start my story, but with something that doesn't have to do with the story directly yeah just 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 some like you know uh uh some backstory some exposition some world building detail um before we get to the plot mm-hmm. and you know characters yeah 
That's just, I say, you know, just start with a map and maybe, maybe a family tree. Uh, I love those. I love a map and a family tree. Right. And that, that's all you need, right? And I don't mind a prologue that's like a nice cold open about something weird. Sure. That we'll cut back to like 30 chapters later. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's not usually what you get. No. And, and that's certainly not what this one is. <laughs> no. I was going to say a, a long description of a hotel uh, that doesn't actually say very much other than like this is a front for a government agency. Right. And, and that's really it. Um, yeah. So much of it is about how nondescript everything is. <laughs> and so it's nondescript. Yeah. It is unmemorable. There, there are a few things in here. We get the reference to Whitehall. So we're, we're evoking Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. uh, right at the top. But then nothing else in the text supports that. Yeah. 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 So our first line uh, we'll delve into. The hotel was big and rather famous ostentatious if not downright flamboyant within easy walking distance of Whitehall and ellipsis not entirely what it seemed to be that that seems to not be necessary to say (laughs) yeah this is a lot of construction for a sentence that is uh I will say largely subtractive Mm -hmm. I feel like if you led with one or the other of those points like if you led with the hotel was not what it seemed to be that's a thing you've said a thing that's clearly leading in your story and if you had like a more rambly like the hotel was big and rather famous and Whitehall and like a little history at least that's like a foundation this zigs and zags where it should not yeah and and if you're gonna tell us it's flamboyant and and this is a show don't tell thing which mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily always apply quite the way people think it does but this is a case where it applies <laughs> what does it look like yeah we know what what's flamboyant about it like you could really paint a memorable image of what this hotel looks like and then lead us into the details that contradict that image but we don't have an image to contradict yet yeah like flamboyant could be gothic it could be deco it could be just like vegas ritzy Mm -hmm. and really even by the end of this page like i have some assumptions mostly based off of what i know the book to be conceptually genre wise but based on this page i have no further description no we know more about the funding of the top office and where where the the money comes from than we do what the hotel actually looks like Mm -hmm. yeah there's a a lot of words here uh that don't carry a lot of uh emotional weight or otherwise like not even just emotional weight, because reading this, I'm not expecting a book that's going to give me a lot of emotional weight, but mm. I, I still expect it something that would lay the groundwork for fear. Yeah. <laughs> for it to be a horror. <laughs> and mostly it just feels like we're going into bureaucratic well, conspiracy thriller. I was going to say, like, uh, uh, the, the funding of government agencies doesn't uh, chill your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not in quite the same way. <laughs> I did. I did like. We're jumping forward a little bit. I I did like uh, that little uh, uh, metaphor. Uh, where is it? Uh, in the way a tree supports a small creeper. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, that's nice. Like that's a little descriptive. And in fact, that's that, yeah. that gives me a more vivid image than uh, anything else uh, so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I I think in the long run, this turns out to be a book about vampires. Which, that's what I guessed from the fangs on the cover. Yeah, which makes that. You know, a very apt metaphor that is not oh true is not really uh 
integrated very well conceptually with what follows. And and that's just it. It feels like we we get this one evocative image in the middle of describing something that seems fairly unimportant mm-hmm. and could have been applied to something more interesting or make the thing that it's being applied to seem more interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there is so much... Uh, well, uh, besides the fact that there is uh, no sensory detail, um, <laughs> I, th- I think actually Vin uh, kind of hit it when you, when you talked about it being subtractive. Like, we hear about what they claim to be but what they're clearly not, even though what they claim to be is something that like, also we don't know about Mm -hmm. Uh, international Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, you know, whatever such creatures might be. Um, And and I actually like that line. Yeah. Uh, For even though it is subtractive, but it's subtractive in a, in a more effective way and a more um, linguistically interesting way. Well, I, I, I think I agree. And it's kind of zooming out. One thing that, kind of surprised me going into the page after the cover because the cover is kind of lurid uh and sensational let's say oh yeah uh and this prologue um i wasn't i wasn't bored by it because there was a certain archness i thought in it that i was not Hmm. expecting agreed um and something like that like whatever international entrepreneurs might be you know uh that i don't know i I thought yeah it was it, it was an unexpected juxtaposition uh, that's and, and I, oh. I think that. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean to. Oh, I, I was just going to say, like, uh, my my eyes have just fallen on the part where he goes into details about how separated the top floor is, that it has mm-hmm. its own fire escape. Uh, and like that is information. No, that's good. Well, I was just going to say, like, that I feels it feels like something. I don't know. We could have, like, will that come up later? I wonder. Is he laying? Is he laying pipe for? something that happens later well, or i think that for me much more than the discussion of their finances is really making the point in um a palpable way about how isolated this this organization is and the lengths they go to to remain isolated um and so i saw value in that if we had then jumped from there and like cut out most of what comes before the following paragraph <laughs> Yeah, I realize this page is kind of like looking at a ledger trying to figure out something that's going on mm-hmm. because it it there's clearly you know, something going on. And he tells us several times that something is going on that we don't understand, but there's no texture. Mm-hmm. It's just like here are the components. Well, like here are the components. See them. And and what's happening, I think, is there are moments where he starts us down the path toward getting that texture, and it does start to pull us in a little bit. Like, I was pulled in at the, the description of the, it has its own elevator, it has its own fire escape, right? That felt like it was going somewhere, and then it just didn't go where it was going and, and segued into uh, reading spreadsheets. Yeah, I need, like, one more detail there before we move on, like... If you give me like blacked out windows or like, Mm. you know, only ever lit by candles or something weird like that. Or how about something about people? Mm. Like, like, do we ever actually see people going into and out of this place? And what's what's interesting about those people? Are they also super generic looking? Are they identifiably, uh, you know, secretive organization people? Um, You know, we need movement. Mm. We need something to move. Yes. 
Yeah, it does have sort of a, a like we're scanning over a photograph uh, yeah. sort of quality of just like, you know, and I guess actually something something that this conversation is making me think that like we start with that discussion of the hotel uh, and the top floor being separated. And then we go into like its relationship to government, which also has a separation. Right. But mm-hmm. like, like, I, I wonder if you could do uh, an opening like this very similar to what we have here, but have more connection just by like emphasizing the theme of like separation. Right. Like, yeah, the, 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 the level is separate from the hotel. The agency is separate from the government and the people are separate from, you know, the normal world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all of this makes sense when you think about it being a vampire novel, like the themes we're pulling out of it. It, it is there. Yeah. It just doesn't uh, like hit. Right. I will say uh, good catch on the white hole detail, um, which I hadn't immediately noticed. But like, that's another thing. It's like, oh, there there really could be something here if you just bit a mm-hmm. little harder. <laughs> good metaphor for vampire novel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Going back to what what uh, Benjamin was saying about the the archness, when that comes in is really where it, it starts to perk up a little bit. Mm-hmm. They being the only identification one might reasonably apply in such circumstances. Right. It, it, it's, you know, wordy, and, yeah. but but it feels like the guy wants to bring some style into his writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just seems to alternate between like detail or style or information mm-hmm. but, yeah uh not integrating very well uh, on, on that note was anyone thrown off by the word costing uh in the sentence the upkeep of their offices was therefore far and away top of the list where costing was concerned yeah i'm not sure if that's like a britishism or a late 70s early 80sism <laughs> yeah i don't know it doesn't bother me like again it's one of those things that if there were if this were more consistently written with style it could be you know uh, uh an invented word but it's a clear invented word its meaning is is not uh uh obtuse in any way mm-hmm. or um, or it could play into like a style of language but it's not right it's not carried out in any direction right yeah i guess that that's what made me wonder if it was perhaps a uh britishism uh, that I was unaware of, I guess it never comes up in Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but this is a British author. It's at the least a British story, British setting. Again, set you know with Whitehall there. Uh, yep, British author Brian. Okay. Lee. Yep. Oh, uh, 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 before we say anything bad about him, is he still alive? I believe so. Like I think he's in his eighties. Yep, eighty-three. I think we've said you know some positive things too. And, you know, he said plenty of time to grow. Yeah. And so much of this, again, like once we get past the prologue, is it different? So many books are. There are so many books that open with this incredibly dry, tedious prologue. And then you get to page one of the actual story and suddenly, it, you know, there's exciting things happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a matter of why did you feel you need to do that? You know, we'll get the context. Just give us a chance to, to, to care first. Yeah, there are so many ways to integrate information that uh, yeah, I sometimes wonder what the editors were thinking during the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely also, as we were discussing with prologues, like uh, one of the issues is that like, like here's some information 
I hope you remember it in uh, 150 pages or so when it mm. becomes relevant. Yeah. It's like, well, then, like, maybe you should give it to me when it matters. But but I'm fully expecting, like, the next page after this ends is, you know, set at a seedy nightclub and we're right into our first vampire attack. Mm. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, I, I've seen that pattern so many times. Yeah. It's, it's the difference between an establishing shot in a film, which can go on for, like, you know, five seconds mm-hmm. and an establishing shot in a book, which can take 10 pages. Yeah. And again, that, that can work if you're, if you're consciously trying to keep your, your audience waiting with anticipation um, and just being real slow about giving them the thing that you've promised, mm-hmm. but this hasn't promised us anything yet. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's come up before uh, on the podcast, but uh, one of my favorite stories uh, is uh, by, by Angela Carter is the Fall River Axe Murders, which opens up, the, I think the second line says something about how, uh, like the first line is Lizzie Borden waking up, and the second line is like, today is the, the day that she's going to kill her, her parents. Uh, right. And then the whole, the whole story is just like the, the tenseness of that. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just like... Well, even like the lottery. Mm-hmm. The whole story is the anticipation of finding out what the horror is. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't happen until the story's over. <laughs> yep. And it's all world building up until then, but the promise is there. Mm-hmm. And 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 the the promise is palpable through the whole thing. Well, I think like you said also like I mean, especially the lottery is a story where I can't remember like uh, uh any it's been a long time since I've read it, but I can't remember any sentences that don't involve uh, a person doing something mm-hmm. or saying something or like, you know, there, yeah. I mean, there's always like, if there's ever a lull, then they just cut to the old woman complaining about like the newfangled ways that other places are doing things. Right. You mm-hmm. know, but, and, but it is a story that like for, for as much as I'm criticizing this for the focus on like the spreadsheets, the lottery is about economics. Yeah. Right. It's, it's about, you know, are you going to have sufficient crop? Is it going to, going to sustain a community? Um, that's, that's all economic, uh, concerns and, you know, it's about the sacrifices a community is willing to make for the sake of their economics. Yeah. Um, and, and the economics are the central thing that you're exploring through most of it. It's all about the, the agriculture. Yeah. But you're exploring it there through a perspective. Through a perspective and, and with a sense of foreboding. Yeah. Yeah. Like here, even if, even if we were to zoom in on the hotel manager as a point mm-hmm. of view that would make this very different helps so much even if he's just talking about ledgers and paperwork we'd know He'd why he feels about it's weird. it and yeah that, that would also be a perfect uh use of a prologue if like if the book was going to follow the shadowy people who work on the top floor the prologue could be someone else looking at them and thinking mm-hmm. like what do they do and then we get into chapter one and they're vampires uh but it is funny that like the mm, right. the real tension uh the real tension for me on this page comes uh, at the very end when it's just like if taxpayers knew they would be outraged oh uh, god what what <laughs> what a boring yeah 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 trip to go on there well it's also funny just to imagine it and in, in in like i mean in 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 today's uh british society like uh you know yeah people will be outraged and like because like because Brexit was happening, oh, or 
we're funding literal vampires. Mm-hmm. All right, that's consistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also funny imagining like, you know, the news comes out like, oh, you know, Boris Johnson funds vampires, and they're like, yes, but it's for a good reason. They're 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 authentic <laughs> British folklore vampires, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> You just get like the, the 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 Daily Sun to rally round. Yeah, uh, and and even on the other side of it, it's like, yeah, that's you know, that's not really that new in in context. Yeah. Boris Johnson funds vampires. Yeah, yeah. no, that's right. Yeah. Didn't we already know that? This is, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that, but I knew yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. The the thing with that, like, sort of like semi humorous conflict there, is that it really it's another thing that pulls away from what you're expecting to be the central theme. Like, you know, if this is discovered, people will be worried about the taxpayer burden, but we still haven't gotten to like the thing that you're trying to pull attention away from. Right. Like you, you didn't do the twist yet. So you can't ironically refer to it. Yeah. It's funny without telling us what they do, just telling us that like taxpayers would be offended. There's like a moment of like, I don't know whose side I'm on here. Yeah. Like, right. Will I be also offended? Or 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 would this be like, you know, am I seeing these like I see taxpayers who are offended by funding Medicare? Mm-hmm. While you know? while while going to the doctor on Medicare. Uh yeah. right. You can always find a taxpayer to be offended by any expenditure. <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny and like we go into the the office and they're it's a diplomatic embassy. It's like this is yeah. this is what we do as a government. Like, well, I'm offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I don't want any of those poncy french vampires over here uh but yeah uh i don't know so i guess this prologue doesn't give us a lot to go on in terms of character or plot uh but there is some or tone (laughs) or tone (laughs) i'd almost argue like maybe maybe it has uh uh, too many tones um yeah but would would that keep you reading are are you curious enough to know what goes on in the office ah I'm the sort of person where once I start something, I have a hard time making myself stop, even if I don't like it. Mm. So I, I would, if I picked it up and tried, I would make it a, a fair bit before I actually gave up. I would at least, yeah, get through the prologue and read the first chapter because I, I do know how common it is that a prologue is not really reflective of what the book is going to be. Yeah, I have sort of two conflicting tendencies where. On the one hand, I like to give everything a chance, but on the other hand, I very much tend to judge a style very quickly. Mm. I'm like, this definitely isn't for me. <laughs> this isn't landing. So like, there's a good chance that I might go another page or two, but at, at this pace, I would probably pull the ripcord pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say for, for myself, having read this first page, it did not make me want to go get the book and read the second page. Uh, it did send me to eBay to see if the, uh, the West End role-playing game book was available. <laughs> but You too can role-play a secret bureaucracy in a hotel. <laughs> I, oh gosh, that would be kind of a great like anti-game. You know. there, there, there's like a, a, a meter to track how uh, outraged the taxpayers are. And you have to keep it under. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, forget. I forget who said this, but someone once said something like some novels or tv or series would just be better off as a source book (laughs) yeah no that's true yeah oh Mm. and another uh uh, (laughs) spinoff uh podcast for us Mm. 
Yeah. It'd be fun to be like, just like, uh, <laughs> instead of reading uh, the first page of every book, we like go through every TV show ever and decide what the role playing game would be. Hmm. Like the Three's Company game. Now, what would that be? Uh, I could write that. I could write that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a lot of really good modern role-playing games that are, are very small, you know, driven by one concept, but it's really about exploring um, an aspect of community or an aspect of relationships mm-hmm. um, and, and in effective ways. And Three's Company, absolutely. Role-playing three random roommates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like with a it, with a pre-existing formula for conflict. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You 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 roll under something and it becomes a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. And and you've got the built-in um, antagonist of the landlord. Mm-hmm. You know, making rent is part of the the you know the stats you have to track. Is have you raised enough money for rent this month? Yeah. You have three stats: hers and hers and his. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'd be curious to be to, to put this together and then to realize like no one was interested and you're like, okay, but it's a vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost. Like mm-hmm. well, 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 well that's, that's a show. It? Yes. That's, that's that's being human. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um but no, it would it would work because it would inevitably segue into Sartre. Mm. Right? <laughs> you do a roommate role playing game, it's gonna end up being no exit every time. Yeah, I in retrospect I kind of did that. I published one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, I, I will also say that I, after reading this, went to the Wikipedia page. So I think I can fill in some gaps here if you're interested. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's a little confusing because the the summary I read was, I think, for uh, a lot of the series. But what I imagine this first book is, is that there's this British agency that is tasked with psionic research or supernatural research. Oh. And that's okay. what I believe this hotel, these, these people at the hotel are. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the, 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 the project getting hostility from the, uh, the public would come from. Uh, and then there are vampires. And then there is someone named Harry who has the ability to speak with the dead. And he gets skills from them and he fights vampires. And I assume he gets recruited by this agency, which I think is called... Uh, Somewhere I saw the word uh, espionage, except the E, S, and P are all capitalized. <laughs> I can see how this is a role-playing game now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it goes on to, like, also there's an alternate dimension where vampires rule. Uh, and, and that was the point where I was like, like, yeah, maybe maybe a role-playing game, but, but not an 18-book series no. uh, for, for me. Do you guys have any other uh, final thoughts? Or guesses or questions. I was actually just trying to see if I could find like a, a, a preview to see where it does jump at the beginning of chapter one. Mm. Um, I'm not finding it. My my Amazon look inside this book is not working, not opening. But I was curious what what where what does it segue to after this slow slow opening? Hmm. Chapter one, Moscow, May 1971. Oh. Central, and this is uh, a breach of our premise, but I'll do it. (laughs) Central in a densely wooded tract of land not far out of the city, where the Serpukov Road passed through a saddle between the low hills and gazed for a moment across the tops of the close-grown pines towards Podolsk, 
uh, which showed as a hazy smudge on the southern horizon, brightly picked here and there, the first lights of evening, this is quite a sentence, stood a house or mansion, he's giving us another house, of de- oh, of debased heritage and mixed architectural antecedents. See, that's much more interesting as a, as a, a building. Right. Give me a debased heritage. Yeah. But even working up to that, we, we're getting a vision of what this place is, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of visual description of, yes, it's like scenic Russia, but we can see something. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we're going there. Embedded at their bases and steeply gabled wall ends, twin towers or minarets decayed as rotten fangs and gaunt as watchtowers. Wow. Yeah. All right. Brian Lumley gets a second chance. (laughs) Yeah. No, now we're getting into some nice pulpy writing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when the the buildings resemble uh, like a a mouth that's about to eat you, uh, Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you've got something something going on there this makes me wonder if this was a retroactive prologue that got stuck on for some reason because this is this reads much more like the opening of a novel to me yeah yeah it could be something that the the editor felt needed to be there for context mm. you know oh we we need to know that it's not entirely going to be outside of england mm. right we, we can't go jump straight to russia not in the 80s yeah that is an interesting like like uh I wonder, I wonder what, like, I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of like James Bond films, you know, and other espionage uh, mm-hmm. classics where like, like there is a cold open on those, right? Uh, at least in the movies. Yeah. Uh, hmm. But, but it's also, this is very getting into the Dracula setup because we, it's England going into Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. It's bureaucracy. It's bureaucracy. It's this, this decrepit large manse in in eastern europe that our british uh uh, hunter of the supernatural is arriving at Mm. it's it's just setting up dracula yeah but with but with government agencies Hmm. all we need is an american cowboy i'll always add a cowboy bram stoker knew that oh you know i'm looking at the cover uh a different cover that says it's for the first edition uh Mm -hmm. Uh, if if you go to the uh, Wikipedia page for Necroscope uh, novel. Oh, yes. I think this might be worth looking at. We'll touch a third cover, sure. Yeah, this is it. I don't know that I'd say it's more gruesome, given that the first one also has, you know, a flesh tongue. Oh. But yeah. It's still got some skin on it, though. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one very blank eye vampirism necromancy supernatural mayhem and shrieking bloody terror that's the tagline on on the original by brian lumley author of the psychomech trilogy Hmm. yeah there's there's a lot there to to chew on (laughs) (laughs) but on that note i think we're bumping up against time okay alexander where can people find you and your stuff online uh, I am co-creator of uh, the audio drama Greater Boston. You can find us at greaterbostonshow.com um, and on all your podcatchers. I am also a sound designer on Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. And I am currently uh, a writer on the forthcoming Elf Quest audio movie. Oh, 
I didn't know about that. Which is in production now. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's been an interesting one. The cast that that it's with Fred Greenhalge. Um, and and the cast he's brought in for that is wild. It's we've got uh Cree Summer, we've got people from Star Trek Voyager, we've got people from Buffy, wow. people from Battlestar Galactica. It's 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 really uh kind of surreal um what's going on with this production that that I have uh had a hand in. Uh it, I am certainly not a lead on the project by any means, but I'm still going to be seeing these people reading words that I've manipulated. Well, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, do you, uh, is, is it uh, too early to say when that might be out? We don't have a release date, but they've been recording already. Um, we just finished up a Kickstarter like a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. And, uh, and they've got all of the, the actors in the studio already. I got to sit in on a recording with Tim Russ uh remotely um but uh it's 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 gonna be something (laughs) i'm Mm -hmm. really excited about that one um yeah i think that's probably enough (laughs) thanks for joining us on dark and stormy nights i've been your host Ben Blackberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Vin LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at MrReciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at TheChimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com, and we'll meet you back here next week.